The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. I'm going to be reading from John 9, 13 through 41. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But but others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he see? How then are His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opens my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to him, If you are blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, as we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the miracles that you do, opening our eyes and constantly working in our hearts. Would you help us in our convictions to share your word, to keep your promises, commandments and hold on to your promises. Yeah. I pray a blessing over Randall as he speaks. Um, may his words be of you. Um, let it ring true in our hearts. So I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Joe. Good morning. All right, we're going to be continuing our series called All Things New. We've been doing it for the past two weeks. And our text for today, as Joe read, is John 9, verses 13 through 41. 
It's a lot of text, uh, but what we find in this particular text is a new story. Uh, Jesus gives this man who was once blind a new story. See, last week we studied John uh, 9, 1 through 12, and the story of a man that was healed from blindness. He was blind from birth, but Jesus gave him new eyes. And it wasn't just physical new eyes, but it was spiritual eyes, that he would be able to see that God is in his life. And what we see today is that this man's story turns from a story about him to a story about Jesus. His life becomes all about Jesus. Now, if you're new to Grace City, uh, first, welcome. We're glad you're here. And uh, like Billy said, we're almost a year old, and we are thankful to God to, to be at this place. But uh, I want to say this up front. We are a church that is all about Jesus. We're about God's word. So you're going to hear about Jesus and God's word every week. Uh, that's why from the beginning of this church, uh, we started by studying in the book of John. Because we want to see more and more about who Jesus is and what he's done. And in this particular gospel, the book of John, we get a first-hand look into the life of Jesus through the eyes of his best friend. And so you will not be able to understand the Bible apart from Jesus. He's the main character. He's the one that holds it all together. Uh, there's a verse in Colossians. I love this verse. Here's what it says in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It says this, about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things, listen to this, hold together. They hold together. What we see is that a lot of the time our lives can look like a mess, and it doesn't feel like things are holding together, and we gotta pick up the pieces and hold it together. But what we find in scriptures that Jesus says, you don't have to try any longer, but you can hand it over, and I will hold your life together. Because he's strong enough to hold the world and this whole universe together, I can hold your life together. It's a new story when Jesus enters into the picture. Martin Luther said this, he says, now if I believe in God's son, Jesus, and bear in mind that he became man, all creatures will appear a hundred times more beautiful to me than before. Then I will properly appreciate the sun, the moon, the stars, trees, apples, pears, as I reflected that he is Lord and the center of all things. You see, what I am saying today is this, that I believe, and this church believes, that Jesus is the center. He's the one that holds it all together. And so we are a Jesus-loving, gospel-centered church because we believe through Jesus all things are made new. And so in this series, we've been talking about the narrative through Scripture that we see, and it's this, that in Genesis, God created all things good. It was all created and intended to be good. There, there was no brokenness. There was no hurt. There was no pain. But then we chose ourselves instead of God, and we said, God, we don't want you. We want me. We want ourselves. 
And so in the garden, there was rebellion against God. And from that point, sin entered the world and everything became broken from that point. And so a lot of the brokenness that you see in this world is because of the fall. But then there's the story of redemption and how Jesus came in to fix the mess. And so he came to redeem. And the word redeem is a beautiful word. It means that he came to free the captives. He came to free the prisoners. And so we see that all through Scripture, that Jesus came to free those who were in captivity, those who were prisoners to what we live in now, currently the fall. And then there would be not just that, but a restoration. That the intention of creation, and then there's a fall, and the redemption is a restoration of all things. And so we see this in the book of Revelation, when all things are made new, because Jesus is king. And so that's the story of Scripture, and that's what we've been talking about in this series, All Things New. Now, what does Jesus restore in this text today? Jesus restores this man's story. See, today, you might have come in broken and feeling like there is no way that God could use my story. There's no way that my story could get any better, that it could matter, that God could use me to make a difference. See, we believe the lies of people in our lives that said, well, you just don't have enough of that it factor. And so that means that you'll never be able to make it in this world and you'll never be able to make a difference. Others of us might have come in today thinking, I've got it all. What does Jesus have to offer me that I don't already have? I've got a great life. I've got a great story that, that's being told right now through me. But today, this text connects with all of us. It connects with all of us because you have to make a choice. You, me, we have to make a choice about who Jesus is. Why? Because deep down we all struggle with this. It's that, that we think that life is about me. We think that life is about me. See, at the fall, what happens is we turn from outward, worshiping God and loving others and enjoying God's creation to turning inward, self-absorbed, self-centered, narcissistic. It has caused for many of us major personal pain in our lives. Major relational rifts. And now all of us have fallen into the lie that life is about me. And what we find, if we live life long enough, is we find that that type of life is empty. It's so empty. My wants, my needs, my desires. I've got three kids, and it sounds a lot like the life that they're living right now, right? Like it's uh, my world. I own it all. My wife was having a conversation with our youngest, who's three, Ava, the other day, and she says, well, her mom was telling her, hey, you can't have this particular thing, and, and here, giving her some direction and some help in life, and, and her, our daughter, Ava, turns to her and says, well, I want a new mommy. I want a new mommy. And, and my wife says, how could you say that? You want a new mommy? She's like, well, I want multiple mommies. 
See, her mommy right now, I, I said, her mom like serves her and loves her in ways that she could have never imagined. She has the greatest mommy. Yet, it's not enough. <laughs> and what we're finding is that the truth is that many of us live like that, right? We live like that where it's my wants, my needs, my desires, it's not enough. And if you don't believe that's true, look at our culture. This is a real problem. Time Magazine released an article in May of 2013 called Millennials, the me, me, me generation. And uh, the millennials are anyone born uh, on or after 1980, uh, according to this article. And uh, you know what happens, right, when when these articles come out? And he says this at the beginning, but... uh, One generation always looks at the other generation and says, how selfish are they? They're just so terrible. And so here's what Joel Stein writes about the me, me, me generation. Narcissistic personality disorder is nearly three times as high for people in their 20s as for the generation that's now 65 or older, according to the National Institutes of Health. 58% more college students scored higher on a narcissism scale in 2009 than in 1982. A recent study showed that 40% of millennials believe they should be promoted every two years, regardless of performance. (laughs) In the U.S., millennials are the children of baby boomers who are also known as the me generation, who then produced the me, me, me generation, whose selfishness technology has only exacerbated. We live in the world right now where the me can go viral on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, wherever. It's a problem. And so what is your story? And who is it about? Today, Jesus invites us to lay down the story of me at the foot of the cross so that he can give us a new story. He can give us a new story. In the book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the story, The Horse and His Boy, C.S. Lewis writes about a young man named Shasta. Now, Shasta was born uh, the eldest son. He was the heir of King Loon, and so he had it all. But he was kidnapped as an infant and raised as a fisherman's son in the country of Calarman. And Shasta comes in contact with the Christ figure, Aslan. And at this point, Shasta is describing his life to Aslan. Now, he doesn't know who Aslan is, and he doesn't know that Aslan is the, the, the Christ figure in this story. But he starts to describe his life to Aslan. He says this. He says, I never knew my real father and mother. I was brought up sternly by a fisherman. And then he told this great story of his escape. I was chased by lions. I swam for my life. There was dangers all through the desert. There was beasts as I escaped into the desert that howled at me. He told about the heat. He told about the thirst. He told about however so long it was since he had eaten a meal. And this large voice of Aslan looks at him and says, I do not call you unfortunate. 
Shasta looks at him and says, do you think it was bad luck? See, in that conversation, this was someone who was blinded about the truth of life, the truth of his story. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know that he was meant to be a king in a kingdom. He had lost his identity. But when you surrender to Christ, even the pains in your life can be redeemed and transformed by Jesus. And what you'll find is that he will give you a new story. And so our text for today is John 9, 13 through 41. And what do we learn about a new story from Jesus? Well, there are three parts of the story. We'll see it in this text today. First, it's the controversy. Second, it's the climax. And third, it's the conclusion. The controversy, the climax, the conclusion. To give some background of what's happening here, the former blind man has been healed on the Sabbath day. There wasn't supposed to be any work done on the Sabbath day, and so Jesus heals him on the Sabbath day. And the religious leaders at this point are in a tizzy. They are in a tizzy. They're frenzied because Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. You can't do that. It didn't fit into their religious box. And everyone is trying to figure out who Jesus is. And so the controversy comes in verses uh, 15 through 21. And so let's, let's look at this together. Um, and so the first point is the controversy. And what's the controversy over? Well, it's the man's story about Jesus. So let's look at verse 15. Here's what it says. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And so what we see first is that this, this man tells about his experience with Jesus. Here's what he did. He, uh, right here, he, he put mud on my eyes. I washed. I see. Pretty simple. It's a simple response about what Jesus has done. And so this man's story was he was blind from birth, but now he sees, and here's the simple description of how he sees now. As Christians, I, I, I want to encourage you with this. Your story can be very simple. It doesn't have to be over the top. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. This man, as weird as it was, right, like Jesus put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I see was pretty bold in declaring what Jesus had done for him. And sometimes your story might not seem like it really fits together. But I want you to know that first off, your story matters. Because some of us feel like our story doesn't matter. It does. Especially when it's all about Jesus. And so this man's story, as strange as it was, was all about Jesus. See, he simply shares his story. And also look at what else he says. Um, later he says, I don't know. Right, so like in, in, in verse 12 he says, I don't know. And then what you're gonna see later is, uh, he says, I don't know, but one thing I do know in verse 25. As this man describes his story, he didn't have all the answers. 
but he still spoke boldly for God. And, and what I want to say is a lot of the times what happens is this. Like, as a believer, as a Christian, when, when God saves you, we try to overcomplicate it. We think we've got to have all of these profound theological answers. But this man didn't have all of those things. But one thing he did have is that he was healed by God. There were people that knew him. I said, yeah, that's the guy, but he's not the same anymore. And I want you to know that that's powerful. And so whatever story you have to share, declare it boldly because Jesus is at the center of it. And then we get the responses. And so we see it in verse 16. This is where the controversy starts, the Pharisees' response. Uh, So here's what verse 16 says. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And so what we see here is there's skepticism on one side. There's people who kind of believe on the other, like, well, maybe he could have done this. But what they instantly do is they attack Jesus' character. They attack Jesus and who he is because they say this man's a sinner. There was something that that was earlier in in John 8 where it was almost tongue-in-cheek to tear Jesus down. But they said, we were not born from adultery. Now, some of the beliefs during that time was that Jesus, uh, because he was born from uh, the virgin Mary, was that Joseph and Mary, and she was an adulterer. And so they, they believed this idea. They didn't know he was born from the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there was probably something that could have followed Jesus during this time, that he was, well, he was born in adultery. He's a sinner. And again, I I just want you to know, like, Jesus can meet you wherever you're at, whatever your story is. You might say, well, I don't know my dad. I don't know my mom. But Jesus comes in and he gives you a new story because he can relate. He can relate. People would tear him down and say, well, this this is who he is. He's a sinner. We know that is as far as the truth as you can get because he was sinless. Uh, watching on, on YouTube, I, I just kind of Googled it. It was like this atheism conference. And I was watching some of the videos and some of the, the you know, I just wanted to hear some of the apologetics, you'd say, for what their stance was on why they didn't believe in God. And I was listening and listening and listening. And, and one of the, the major elements that I, I found is I started to listen to the descriptions of some of these people and what their stance and viewpoint was, was that they would just attack the character of God. Well, if God was this, then he wouldn't have done this. If he was real, then he, this wouldn't have happened. And it was all about tearing God down. And what the Pharisees are finding is this. Not everything God does will fit into their religious box in the way that they view the world. And so they're tearing down the character of God. Jesus is God. And they're trying to tear him down in some way or another because it doesn't fit into their box. That was their response. 
there's a controversy that happens because of who Jesus is and what he has done. So that was the Pharisees' response. But what about his parents' response? Well, we find that in verse 20. His parents answered, we know that, there is, uh, that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But then we find out in verse 22 that they, they didn't want to completely buy into who Jesus is or even got, get involved with Jesus because there was fear of the Jews. So their response was fear. I don't want to get involved Because if Jesus is in this, if he's involved, I don't want anything to do with him because they were fearful that they would be kicked out of the synagogue. So their response and the controversy that was really caused was they feared man. And what it did is it kept them from seeing the work of God. It kept them from seeing the work of God. So what category, when it comes to Jesus, do you fall into? Because there will be a controversy that happens in your life because of Jesus. When you meet the real Jesus, your world gets shaken up. And so what is it that that you fall into the category of? Do you fall into the category of this man who says, man, simply this is what Jesus has done and and here's who he is and I really don't know all the the facts about him but I want to learn? Is it, well, skepticism and, and maybe here is where I'm at, this is where I land? Maybe it's fear. I, I don't, I don't want to be rejected by people, and so there's no way that I'm going to follow Jesus because that seems a little too extreme for me. See, we will fall into one category or another. There will be controversy that comes up in our life because of Jesus. And the controversy will, will come from internal. You're going to have to make a decision, but also external. There will be skepticism. There will be people that don't understand. But Jesus, the real Jesus, you will have to make a decision about who he is. Because the second point is this, it comes to a climax, the climax. And we see this in verse, uh, verses 24 and 25. And so here's the climax. Where did the climax come from? Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. What they're saying is, it's like our, our, our way of when people come into court and they say, put your hand on the Bible that you're telling the truth. That's what they're doing to this man. So they're like, okay, not give glory to God, but um, promise that you're telling the truth here because God sees this. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. The Pharisees wanted to pressure this man into their viewpoint of Jesus. They were pressuring him into saying, okay, Jesus, yeah, he's a sinner. He's wrong. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. There will be pressures that come. There will be moments in your life where you'll be pressured and you say, well, who is Jesus? What do you, who do you believe he is? The Pharisees wanted to put that pressure on him, and this man had to make a decision, and he does. And so look at verse 25. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And so in the next verse, they said, well, how did he open your eyes? And so they're asking him the same question. They're trying to catch him in, like, you know, just just something that, that they can be like, oh, well, you're wrong. 
He answered them, I have told you already. You would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Don't you love the boldness of this guy? He's like, he, he's at this place where he's like, okay, Jesus changed my life. And I'm a different person now. And uh, I'm gonna call out your motives. Why, why do you wanna hear it again? Like, are, are you just trying to catch me in something? Like, what's going on? Like, why? Because the reason I told you is so that, so that you could believe. Do you also want to become his disciples? See, that's the end goal. That, that, that's, that's really where the climax comes. Is that you, your story comes from, man, I just knew about Jesus to now I'm becoming a disciple of Jesus. Now I'm following Jesus. Now I, I know that I need Jesus. And, and this man doesn't know everything about Jesus. But it says that the response was this. The Pharisees, they re- reviled him. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. And then they go into this whole description of, of why. What's the climax for you? There will be uh, a stand that, that you must take on what you believe about Jesus, even if it makes others feel uncomfortable. Again, recently I, I watched uh, something from the Veritas Forum. Um, and it's a forum on faith and people talking about faith and different beliefs and, and all these things. And so it's, it's just a great forum to come together uh, and, and talk about beliefs. And this one was entitled, Why Mother Teresa Never Made It Into My Social Justice Classes. And um, the lady, Mary uh, Poppin, was, uh, here's what she says. I think it's very important for us. Okay, um, she says this. Now, most people who interpret Mother Teresa think about her more like a good humanist, maybe even an extraordinary humanist. And this is a long quote, but I feel like this is important for us to read. Um, She's more comfortable to us that way. It gives us the feeling that if we just tried hard enough, we might be able to be like her. But when I came back, she went to hang out with Mother Teresa in Calcutta. I tried to write about some of the experiences that I had had. I tried to write about her in a sort of soft, secularized secularized Christianity. I felt that it would make her less, uh, left less offensive to my colleagues, to the secular world in the university that I lived in, but she did not think about her life this way. And so, as I wrote, I began to fall into an intellectual crisis because I was lying about her. Todd Lake saw Mother Teresa on his graduation day speak at the Harvard Class Day exercise, and this is what he wrote about it. It's very much what my experience was. Listen to this. I remember Mother Teresa's speech on the steps of the Memorial Church at the Class Day exercise in 1982, where she talked of Jesus incessantly. I mean, incessantly. And even quoted that verse in John 3.16, already known to most of us thanks to the end zone bleachers. 
But in a triumph of brilliant editing, the Harvard Magazine account managed to report almost the entire Mother Teresa's speech without once hinting she might have even mentioned Jesus. We all sensed that he could be trouble and we wanted to make sure he never became a live issue again. See, there will be a stand that must be made on what you believe about Jesus and will come to a climax and it will be uncomfortable. But this man was willing to make that decision. And so the third point is the conclusion. We see this is in verses uh, 35 through 38. Um, look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. So Jesus heard about what this man had experienced. So the Pharisees had gotten together. They, they, they cast him out. And it says that Jesus found him. See, everyone had rejected this man at, his, at this point. His family, his leaders, everyone. Everyone except for Jesus. Jesus pursues him and asks him a question. And here's what the question is. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Commentator D.A. Carson says about, uh, th about this verse, he says this, judging by the way of the verse, the man is eager to believe in him. He has come to the end of his confidence in the traditional religious authorities. This man has been cast out. He's been looked down upon. And he's gotten to the end of his rope. He's got nothing left. And he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him in verse 37, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. That was his response. This man, his story, everything, no one wanted to believe. But a man at the end of his rope finds that Jesus pursued him when no one else did. That's the conclusion. That's the conclusion. And his response was worship. This word in the Greek is proskuneo, and so he lays prostrate before Jesus. And the amazing thing about Jesus, and this divides him from all the other religious leaders in the world, is this, that he received worship. You'll see it in the, the Old Testament, New Testament. When angels come, they, they say, don't worship me. But Jesus stands there as this man worships him. He worshiped and he received worship because this was God standing in front of him. Do you wanna know how God responds to the rejected, to the lonely, to the broken? He comes near. And he says, I'll be there when no one else will. I'll come near when no one else will. That's the conclusion. This is a great quote from Oz Guinness. Here's what he says. He says, all the time, the seeker thought she was seeking, but actually she was being sought. You want to know how, how, how this works? She was being sought. For God can only be known with the help of God. 
the hound of heaven, as the poet Francis Thompson called God, has tracked the seeker down. This man did not have all the answers. But the one who did sought him from the beginning. Do you remember the, in, in, at the beginning of chapter nine what, what it said? It said that uh, this man's story would be used for the glory of God. It would be used for the glory of God. And along the way, this man progressively learned more and more about Jesus. In verse 11, he calls him the man called Jesus. Verse 17, he calls him a prophet. Verse 33, he said he's from God. And his final response is worship. Here's the conclusion. Keep coming back to Jesus and you will eventually see that he is more than just a man. He's God. And your story will change. It'll change. He has turned the most ardent skeptic into the most faithful follower. Are you able to admit your spiritual blindness in this, right? I don't see it. I don't know that it's there. God wants to come in and change that story. And so here's the, the, the takeaways for today. I'm gonna give you three takeaways that will help us to process what we learned from this text. The first one is, are you able to admit your spiritual blindness? See, at the end of the story, it's really interesting. Verses 39 through 41. Jesus is talking with this man, but we see that the Pharisees are kind of listening in on what Jesus is saying. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and they said to him, well, are, are we also blind? So you're talking about blind receiving sight. Are, are we blind? In this mocking tone, right? And Jesus says to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you see, or now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Here's the thing about the Christian life. Admitting blindness is the start to a new story. Admitting that I don't see and I don't know that I'm lost is the start to a new story. Because what you see from the Pharisees is this. Throughout this whole text, we know. We know this man's a sinner. We know, we know, we know. What this other man says is, I don't know. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I don't know where he comes from. I don't know. But here's what I do know. And so he speaks off of what he does know. Once I was blind, now I see See, it's when we can admit spiritual blindness, this is where the gospel breaks through. This is where we receive a new life, a new story. Um, commentator Randolph Tasker says this. He says, Christian faith begins when men and women come to see that sin has robbed them of spiritual vision. That in the sense that they are all blind from birth and wholly incapable to free themselves from their predicament and faith comes to maturity when they accept Jesus as the one who alone can recreate in the faculty sin has destroyed. It is significant that the man confronted by Jesus in this story was a beggar and that he was born blind. Do you want to know what the gospel is? It's coming to beggars and blind people saying here's the bread and here's the sight. Things that we didn't have on our own. See, a great description that my friend told me of the gospel, he says, I'm just one beggar telling other beggars where the bread is. It's Jesus. It is him. And so are you willing to admit your spiritual blindness? 
We're all blind naturally within ourselves. But the gospel breaks through when we say, you know what, I am blind. Uh, the second point is this, are you willing to be misunderstood for Jesus? Here's the deal, at times you will be misunderstood and even mocked for being a Christian. I've experienced this when I first became a Christian when I was 17 years old. Going to school, I was different. I did not grow up a Christian, but God transformed my life and I talked differently, I acted differently than the person I was before and I got mocked for it. That was a little weird at times, you know? You always kinda, you kinda turn a little weird at first when you become a Christian, but then you kinda work your way out of it, you know, and you become a little bit more normal, but there will be things about you that people won't understand. A way of life that you won't under, they won't understand. John 15, 12 says this, remember the word that I said to you, this is Jesus, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus, they will also persecute you. If they kept, uh, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. It's a part of it. It's a part of being a follower of Christ. There will be moments where you will be misunderstood and people won't know what you're talking about when you're talking about your story and how Jesus changed your life. Expect it. But the last one is this. Are you worshiping the hero of the story? Are you worshiping the hero of the story? See, Jesus knew this man before this man knew Jesus. Jesus knew this man before this man knew Jesus. And here's what I want you to know, that Jesus knows your story before you know Jesus. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're currently going through. He's not just a man, he's God. And so he knows, he understands, he aches with you. See, when you understand that God pursues you first, because that's what the Bible tells us, is that he pursued us first, you see that your small story is wrapped up in his grand narrative, a bigger story than what you see. And the story is all about him. He's the hero of it. He is the hero of this story. The horse and his boy, Shasta. Remember Shasta? We were talking about him earlier. Well, Shasta continued to have this conversation with Aslan. And Aslan tells him some things that he didn't know. And the one thing that really mattered was this. He says, I was there. I was there. Aslan tells him, the, the Christ figure tells him, I was there, I know your story. And here's what Aslan tells him. He says this, he says, I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you should reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion you did not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. All of the things that Shasta was there arguing with Aslan about, 
about his life. He didn't see the whole story. And the only way he could understand the whole story was when the Christ figure came and told him the truth. And eventually, he became a king. He became the, the, the rightful king to the kingdom that he was meant to lead. But it wasn't until he found out his story, and it wasn't about him. It was about something bigger than him. And what this man finds in this story is that his story wasn't just about him. Because going back, what does Jesus say? It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You want to know the good news today, friends? Wherever you're at, whatever you've been through, there is a God that can display a glorious light and story through you if you come to him. The story's not over. It's not over. John 41 says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. This is an invitation from Jesus to all of us. Saying, would you consider for a minute that you don't see the whole story? Would you consider for a minute that this is bigger than what you see right now? Because why did Jesus come? What was his story? He came because of our guilt. We're all guilty. All of us. And what was his story? What's the words of this song? Crucified, laid behind a stone, you lived to die, rejected and alone, like a rose trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of me. While we were thinking about ourselves, Jesus thought about you and his life. He was willing to sacrifice it because of you, because of me. And when you lay your story down at the foot of the cross, it's transformed radically into a beautiful story of what Jesus can do. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning asking for your help to see a new story, to see a new life, to see a new direction that we couldn't have gotten to on our own. God, we don't see all the whole picture, but you do. You do, God. So help us by your grace today to have new sight and new vision and a new story in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. 
Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.